welcome welcome back so today we're going to talk about hominids again and the question we want to ask is socially emotionally spiritually how close are we to neanderthal because we know we're cousins we know we can be hybrids we have the genetics behind it and we know there's some structural differences but how how human are we and how human were they it's a good question i mean we know the idea of like you know you shave the neanderthal and you put a suit on him and no one could tell the difference like that's been a trope for a long time but i think it's actually more true than we think it is and i read about that recently they they were talking about it and it wasn't a scientific journal but it was a it was a like a scientific journalist that was writing about this stuff and they 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 said that they're like if we were to take one clean him up teach him our language Probably couldn't tell, you know. <clears throat> if they had language, we actually don't know that. They may not have had speech the same way that we think of speech. So, but but they I'm did interbreed. So, I mean, there's got to be I, some. I'm going to challenge you on that. There is enough circumstantial evidence, I would argue, that Neanderthal had speech because. There are, there are certain social things that we don't know of a way for it to exist without some form of language, right? Um, even when we've studied like uh, chimps and monkeys and great apes and things like that, the concept of language and spirituality and things of that nature develop around language. The fact that we, we know Neanderthal and Homo sapien interacted and interbred right. Um, at a significant level, in fact, one of the one of the things that I was referencing today is a Wall Street Journal article, and it ends with the phrase that you know where, where's the quote from it? I had it here. Um, it ends with the you know the species lines are surprisingly blurred. Um, so if you know modern humans and Neanderthals mated, did we assimilate them? Did we conquer them? We probably will really never have the answers save for having a time machine. But the Paleolithic records suggest it was almost certainly the former, according to Dr. Rasmus Nielsen, an evolutionary bio biologist at the University of California, Berkeley. We integrated with Neanderthals. They went extinct by love. It wasn't war. So those are some of the conclusions we, that they we come hope. to. We hope it we, was love. Well, I mean, we have war. evidence that leans that yeah. way. I'm sure. Again, you know, what makes us human? Fighting is part of it. But I would argue that for that to happen, there had to be a common language. I would also argue to have the level of spirituality that we have seen with burials, burials with flowers and ornamentation and tools. You don't develop that without... The concept of some higher being or God, we're just going to use God, some type of God. And you can't create myth, as far as we understand, for hominids without language. 
right? Right. So now we know that there can be we know there can be a sense of loss with great apes, and we know it right. because there was a great ape, specifically Coco, who was taught a significant amount of sign language. And there's this really amazing video you can go find online where Coco meets Robin Williams, who she watched on TV, and they really bonded together. And there's also the video of when they told Coco that he died. And Coco understood it and was sad and expressed a missing, a longing, and a sadness through the American Sign Language that that she learned. Coco is one of my favorite great apes because I remember getting the book about Coco in the library in elementary school and, and reading yeah. about it, you know. Um, and it's amazing that – because I know there's there's also chimpanzees that have been taught sign language, but it appears the gorillas that have learned sign language may have assimilated language better than the chimpanzees, at least as far as what I've read. Right. But we know that can happen with something that's not as close to us as Neanderthal – so I would argue that the advancements for Neanderthal and probably even hominids earlier on had some form of language. And I think that's obviously fair. it's not and English, right? Or Spanish or French or whatever, you know, the, the modern languages are, but some way to communicate. <clears throat> and what's interesting is when you talk about that, we talk about, you know, the Neanderthals and, and, you know, the burial practices they had. We were just looking at an article today um, that's from, I actually don't know how old this is. So many of these things that we come across, you look at it and you're like, oh, we figured this out seven years ago. And I oh, just, it's I been amazing. didn't know. It's amazing. But the stuff they, in the scientific journals isn't populating to the popular culture well. <clears throat> yes. And so we found this, this article about a 240,000-year-old uh, skeletons that were found there was a skull found of a homo i'm gonna i think i'm pronouncing this right but it's homo naladi um mm-hmm. which is a another hominid species that according to the numbers that i've found at this point it's between three hundred and thirty-five thousand and two hundred and thirty-six thousand years ago so this sort of falls in that same time frame they coexisted with homo heidelbergensis homo erectus neanderthals uh, they were, Denisovans and Homo sapiens and and, and Florencia, uh, the Homo floriensis, uh, even though there's no evidence that they actually crossed paths physically. Um, I have different dates on floriensis that it's they were that far back. But so again, a hobbit sized because they're they're about half the size of a modern human from like the the images of the skulls and stuff that we were able to find. Yeah. Right? But what's interesting um, about it is that where they found this stuff. So they found these down a in South Africa, down this dark tube that's only 6 inches wide and it goes down this cave and it's in the middle of, you know, out in the middle of this this cave system and there's nothing else there. And, and it's just and significant professional spelunking to get there. Right. Yeah. Not an easy climb. And we're not talking about falling down a well. Right. Like we've also found lots of bones in Africa where there's a hole in the ground and things fall down. This is not that yes. kind of hole. This is like climbing into it almost into a caving system. Yeah. It's a it says you go through a 39 foot vertical fissure known as the chute. 
mm-hmm. and that and then they get gunstone to like a limestone shelf. And so what it what it looks like is bodies were brought to this place and left there, sort of like a mausoleum, I would guess. You know, just a, a natural place where, tomb, almost. Yeah, where and they were they only found two other animal skeletons in there. One was from I think it were they were they were apes. One was from way beforehand. They didn't specify when the other one was from, but they also noted that none of the bones had bite marks on them. They weren't, they, you know, they were left and they just sort of, there was no evidence you know, of predation. Yes. Right? Um, or, or scavenging even of the animals. It was two baboons is yeah. what it was. And one of them was significantly older, but there were no tools found. There were no artifacts. It was just like they brought the bodies in. They put them and, down and, and interred them. them. Yeah, right. That that's that's an interpretation of it. Um, so, but it's you know, it's just interesting that that it's that far back. Yes, the idea of taking a body and 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 preserving it for some sort of reason. You know, you would assume that some sort of religious reason. There's some sort of you know uh, practice behind that. But if you really stop and think about that and say, okay, so we've got Neanderthals doing this. We've got these guys doing it. Maybe they all were. And then we, that we t- have no th- idea how far back it is. But, we, but we've then got you have to... strong evidence of the Neanderthal, like super strong evidence. Um... But what does that tell us about, about us? You know, yeah, if, what... you, if we talk about, even if we go back to younger dryads and say, like, maybe there was something before that, but, like, how, how far back before that? Like, if we're talking about, you know, pre-cataclysmic religions the, uh, where we were started with burying the dead and they developed and developed and developed, you know, who knows where, where it started, where it ended up, I, what sort of, you know. I have a theory okay. on, on the early, where, where the early god or gods may have come from. And this comes from my studies of religion and studies of faith, right? And I see it around, and this is this is not dissimilar from what we've seen with some other hunter-gatherer type mm-hmm. um, cultures. That the spirituality probably had a lot to do with the sky, the earth, the water, and the fire. I mean, these elements are fundamental across all cultures, and they're powerful. And if you don't understand what I mean, if you have never sat in the woods with no electronics and stared into a campfire, there is something very primal in that act, sitting there and doing that. And, and it's, it's powerful in a way that is hard to put into words for someone who hasn't done it. Another aspect that goes along with that, and this is something that you and I have both done, uh, because, you know, we've both got an interest in camping and in primitive style camping and learning s- some of the older skills. The first time I ever caught a spark and blew mm. it into flame, I have trouble putting into words how fulfilling that was and how connecting to the ancestors, for lack of a better way to put it, mm-hmm. that was. That, th- that act went far back it was uh, in your bones in it's a- it's the same as the first time you took me out hunting mm-hmm. and you know 
getting a deer and processing it. And then, you know, we pro- I processed it myself that first time. I you took it home. It. We did the whole I cooked, thing. I cooked yeah. it and I ate it. And there was a moment as you're eating that where you're just like, oh, like, again, it's hard to explain, but you're just like, I did this. It's, it's and, just like, and it's ancient. I, I have been with people who don't like fish, but when we get in these primitive camping get togethers, this bushcraft get togethers for whatever, it, it, which is the hobby, right? Bushcraft or woodcraft. And people catch a fish who don't like fish and they cook it over an open flame and they eat it and they're like, this is amazing. Who wouldn't touch a, a $200 plate of like expensive, crazy fish from a seafood restaurant, right? Yes. But they're eating this, you know, like mud cat, you know. And there, there is something to say that for the deliciousness of food when you're hungry. Th- th- this I, is true. This is true. You know. <laughs> uh, but all of this has an, an essence to it that drives deep. Yes. Very deep. And it's in our DNA. You know, I, I am a firm believer in the, the, the concept of genetic memory. That there is, you know, we call it instinct in other animals, right? Right. You know, how does a horse know how to get up and run when it's born within minutes? Instinct. Where does that come from? No one teaches it to us. Uh, you know, or well, no one, no it? one teaches a baby to crawl. We, yeah. we help teach, we, te- we teach kids how to walk just because we're trying to encourage them. But we don't really teach them how to crawl. They just sort of figure out how to move on their own. But, but do we? I mean, there, there is, a, there are, there's enough, there's enough people in, the, there's enough people in the world who don't have the little baby walkers and all that kind of stuff. I and, just sort of meant holding you know, hands and yeah, you know, we, we assist with it. Yes, but I have watched many a baby crawl up to something and put their hands on it and pull themselves up and yeah. figure out how to take those steps. When um, they're learning that from watching. And I yes. think that we, you know, we've talked about this. I, 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 you know, I was in a car accident when I was a kid. I have a visceral reaction to the sound of tires squealing. Like it just sets me on edge every time I hear it, just because that's what I heard right before my accident. Um, and my daughter has the same thing. She reacts the same way. And I sort of had this moment of like, okay, is that a, because my son doesn't, is that a genetic memory that she has this reaction? Or as an infant, did she somehow pick up on my reaction to that and develop the same thing? And the flip side of that, I'm, I'm going to throw another curveball into it. And this also deals with, you know, how, how do we interact as, you know, what makes us human? Is she just more empathetic naturally than your son is? Yes. And so she has picked that up. And where does that come from? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and and again, what makes us human? Which I think is a very deep question. Because right now we're the last hominid that we know of. But what about the next one? What is the mutation that's going to cause that? Where's that going to come from? And will that mm-hmm. be human? Right. You know, uh, that's an important question we need to ask now before we run into it. Right? <laughs> um, and being Neanderthal... Being a hybrid, I'm not pure Homo sapien. We talked about that last time a little bit. Um, you know, I have greater than two percent. You know, and I think the record is like five percent uh, DNA. 
but I have some. I have somewhere between two and three percent of my DNA is is Neanderthal. And yours is like ninety four percent more than the average person. So twenty three and me says I am ninety five. I have nine. I uh, I have more Neanderthal DNA than ninety five percent of everyone they've sampled up to yeah. this point. It was interesting. I I was actually at Rogan's uh, comedy show last week. And he was doing a bit talking about Neanderthal DNA. He was talking about how how much he had, and he had fifty eight percent more than everybody else. And so it was interesting to for him to see it and go fifty eight's a lot. And then I'm like, oh, actually ninety five's a lot. Yeah, ninety five's so, a lot. And I have thirteen distinct variants associated with Neanderthal. Out right. of how many have they identified? It's like forty something, or uh, this just says I have. It doesn't it give me say? a number, okay? Uh, because it talks about markers and traits, and it doesn't differentiate between what the two. There are two. That's a whole different discussion of are. DNA. Yeah. Um, but um, so some of these things that they say come from Neanderthal dandruff, which I had, uh, feeling hangry. They have traced the hangry feeling to D- to neanderthal dna well then leslie's got some ne- some neanderthal the in hitchhiker it. thumb where your thumb curves back further and doesn't just go straight up see you have yeah, neanderthal have dna just because you have that even though you haven't done the test right um sprinting versus distance you know hmm. i was much better a sprinter than i was a distance runner I-, I know that playing soccer i played soccer for years so what does that tell us about usain bolt that man is is a Neanderthal. <laughs> possibly, um, a preference for uh, sweet versus salty, hmm. um, and um, and I much prefer the salty over the sweet, which is a Neanderthal thing. Um, fear of heights, which I have. I, I've. It's weird. I wasn't afraid of heights when I was young, but I have kind of developed almost a vertigo as I've gotten older. Whereas hmm. if I get really high, it's like this. The horizon almost moves. So it's not like a phobia of heights, but just like this dislike, strong dislike for it. Um, and so the, the thought there is that, that so all of these things have come, all these traits that we've picked up are come from that interbreed. But that, that time frame is 300,000 years? Something at around least, there? At least. Because we've talked about yes. this, we think the timing goes back. Because remember, we're basing this off of fossils, and only like one percent of everything that dies becomes a fossil. So we have no idea how many Neanderthal there were. You know, there are population estimates, but those are guesses, really. Uh, so the I, the last thing I saw was a as a a tooth morphology article that I only think I half understood. But the premise that I that they were making, and because I understood the abstract, was that they the they looked at the the tooth morphology, so essentially the the the, the structure of teeth, and worked backwards from Homo sapien and Neanderthal because we have a, we actually have quite a bit of Neanderthal you know oh, in, evidence in the last hundred years we found in, so much we really in have. comparison to like the Denisovans or the Homo nodalians yes, like we got absolutely. a ton of that and so they actually had enough teeth that they could do an analysis and the estimate that they make of when we split from Neanderthal which means that we come from a common ancestor potentially which is probably why we were able to reinterpret interbreed and hybridize right right but the split was 800 to 900,000 years ago. 
So let's just call it a million because it's yeah. more fun that let's way. Round up. So, you know. so that means that Homo sapiens and Neanderthals, which you know, up to thirty thousand years ago, because I think I do agree. I think we probably interbred and they they just sort of went away, or something else happened. You I, know. And, and and I'm going to throw out a, a a sidebar on this. There is some evidence that Neanderthal may still exist in some parts of like unexplored Siberia. There are there are, and we could do a whole show on that. Just the stories of not Bigfoot, but of these strong, super short, brutish humans out of this, this, the Siberian steppes and the deep Siberia. Because we don't, you know, we forget how big Siberia is. And yeah. it's also where we know Neanderthal lived a very cold, icy type environment. That was Europe, but is now Siberia. And we know Neanderthal moved through Asia. It, it spread much further than we thought. There's even evidence that Neanderthal may have moved into the Americas at some point over a land bridge. Um, we do know that they so, were that Neanderthals were distilling tar in yes. Europe two hundred thousand years ago. Yes, which is massively advanced. Yes, because the ability to permanently seal things together is huge. <clears throat> Honestly, once you have tar, you can make good ships. Yeah, much more seaworthy ships. Well, and we've got there's there is the genetic evidence that links the Amazon, the, the natives of the Amazon to the natives of Australia. Absolutely. Like, so, and, and of course, there were no boats. That couldn't no, no, happen. But, never, like, no, no. something happened. And, you know, and some... somehow those little hobbits ended up on an island that's never been connected to another piece of land. With right. No Where did they come from? Yeah. Well, magic. I, yeah, magic. Absolutely. I, uh, it, it's just, you know, you can take this back. Because, you know, again, we just said, let's you know, just loosely set homin- you know, Homo sapiens at a million years old. Well, we found 600 obsidian hand axes from 1.2 million years ago. So yes. either, either we go back 1.2 million, and if we're making hand axes, then we didn't start 1.2 million. It's farther back than that. Or there was something else before us, you know, could have been, you know... Um, well, on There's, that, uh, you know, a Homo erectus know, was was far. We know back. Homo erectus used hand axes. One of the first, one of the first, I'm going to say, one of the first man-made tools, right? Because we're talking about what makes us human, right? And there's a lot of evidence that Homo erectus was pushing us in that direction, toward what we would call culturally human. They had family groups. Probably had some kind of language. They had to teach, and so that's where I'm. I'm. That's where I'm putting that language on, right? Yeah. I have. I'm not good at it, but I have flint napped. I have made stone knives. I've made a couple of stone arrowheads. My oldest son is much better at it than I am, and he has made some pretty good stone tools. 
and uh, he took it a step further and has has attached them to um, like antler shafts and things like that. Uh, but you have to be able to explain. You can't just show that. Yeah. So I, I did a quick search while we were looking here. The oldest tools are were un, unearthed in Kenya around Lake Turkana, I think. They were 700,000 years older than the, the earliest tools they had found before. And they set the date at 3.3 million years ago. Yeah, We were making tools 3.3 million years ago, but civilization didn't start until 6,000 years ago. And, and Everything before that in, is hunter-gatherer. And, and I want to bring in something I think is very important. When we talk about the potential for a lost culture and civilization, because like everybody's like, where's the technology? Well, you know what? I have walked across my parents' property and found arrowheads. Nothing else was left there except the arrowheads. I have also walked across that property and the property right behind it, and I have found tin cans and glass bottles that are fading away and breaking and deteriorating. The stone doesn't. And why is this important? Why do we care? Well, there was a find, and I don't remember the year it was, but I remember hearing about it when I was like in elementary, junior high, Otzi the Iceman. Uh, that was roughly 6,000 years ago, right? Um, and when he was found, what amazes me is the toolkit he, he had with him. He had a bow and arrow, stone arrows, he had clothing, which was made by different people because of the styles of stitching and stuff. The supposition is it was made by different people, so that implies trading. He had a very advanced stone knife uh, with a very intricate, uh, like, woven sheath. He also had several small, in like a waist leather waist belt uh, with a leather pouch, several small, super sharp stone flakes which are like razor blade sharp and a bronze axe, a bronze axe head. That was so, cast, correct? It was cast. It was a cast yes. bronze axe head, small bronze axe head mounted to a wooden haft, right? And, and so we know this because when he died, the, he fell into a glacier. The date on him is between 3350 and 3105 BC. So we're talking about... 5,000 5, couple, couple hundred years. Yes. So, the, the, yeah. So, uh, but and he was what found, does that tell in, us? found in 91, just so you know. Found in 91. Okay. So, yeah, yeah when I was in junior high. Um, that tells us he had access to advanced metalworking, mm -hmm. right? Because we're not talking copper, we're talking bronze, right? But. The stone tools were easier to make, stayed sharper longer, were easier to upkeep for him, and he used them. And we know he used them because they found blood from other people on his arrows. So, mm. you know, we know he was killed. We know he died in some, in some way, shape, or form because he had arrows in the back. So there was something that happened. Um, but it also shows he reused his tools, right? Because um, there's a lot that goes into making those things. We also know that 
Neanderthal made a lot of these tools too, and they were different. They used a different type of spearhead. There's a lot of evidence that the Homo sapiens spears were thrown, whereas the Neanderthal ones were push spears and much heavier, with heavier heads. And you have to wonder, well, is it because they weren't smart enough to throw them? Or is it, did it fit their body size better and their physical attributes? Um, but we also know they intermixed. So who knows what happens? We, what is it that makes us human is much bigger it is. than our genetics. I want to touch back on Atsi for a second because I pulled up the wiki page. He had 61 tattoos. 61 tattoos, 19 groups of black lines. He's got parallel lines running across his body. He's got cruciforms on his knees. I mean, he's got 61 tattoos. That's that's craziness. That yeah, they that's, were that's nuts. You know, and then I if you go pull up the wiki page, it's worth it. There's pictures of the spears and the and the bron- the copper axe that he had. I've um, seen them live when I was at the Smithsonian. Um, oh, they're, nice, they're amazing. Well, let's see here. They've got some genetic analysis here. Let's just see if there's anything interesting in there. Mitochondrial DNA. Let's see here. He's out of, he comes out of Europe, Southern European, part of the migration of early Europeans who migrated from Anatolia into Europe. I apologize. It was a copper axe. It, it is a copper axe. axe. Yeah. I apologize. Uh, but still, copper work. Ooh, in 2012, scientists announced that Otzi had still had intact blood cells. Wow. The oldest complete human blood cells ever identified. Because he was frozen. Yes, he was almost flash frozen in the glacier. And he was found by some, I think it was like some German... Hikers. Uh, tourists who, were, who, were, who found him. Pretty crazy. But again, that's, that's only 5,000 years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, we... We were talking about this before. Like we we have this number at at six thousand, um, and you know of, of civilization, and we we just need to dismiss it at this point. We we have evidence of at Gobekli Tepe of a, at least eleven thousand years old because that's when that was buried. So the six thousand year old date is gone. We've got to push it back farther than that. If we go back to eleven thousand years ago then that's right smack in the middle of the Younger Dryas, which means there had to be something before that. It didn't just appear at the end of a cataclysmic event. There had to have been people, because we know humans are older than that. So the question then becomes, what was before that? You get into the ancient civilization, and I think where it starts, where I think people start to break down is when they hear civilization, what they think is... What they're thinking Dang. is skyscrapers in today. And I, and I think what the argument is trying to be made is that we go back and say they're hunter-gatherers. And the response is, no, there was a civilization. There was and, something and, and, more than that. And what it was, maybe wanna, it was just stone tools that. and houses. You know? And I want to add on that. You can have a vibrant mobile civilization. Yes. Right? Nomadic. There's the word I'm looking for. You can have a vibrant nomadic civilization. The Mongolians did it. The Native the Americans Bedouins did it. The Bedouins are still Be- doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the Native Americans had entire governmental structures, you know, uh, the, 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 the Cherokee Nations and, you know, the 12 civilized tribes and, and, and all of that. But they still moved around, right? Um, and 
there's we're finding more evidence that Neanderthal in that that kind of Mediterranean area and, and northern African area um, came together in large groups and hunted and killed elephants, not just mammoths, but elephants, and you know could feed up to 350 people, which makes sense because if you have a small community, uh, a small family community, you need genetic diversity. How do you get it? You come together for a swap meet. It's like a feast. It. It's a feast. I mean, we talk about how important the feast is in so many different things. You know, we talk about feasts in in the Bible and the feasts are a thing. You know, we the 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 holidays that we all have now are all the feasts that we used to have, which is when that sort of thing happened. Again, I want to get back to what is it to be human? To break bread together. Yes. To come together. How do we form communities? How do we form relationships? It's around a common table, right? And, you know, that's when we come together. That's when we talk. That's when we share ideas. That's when we share thoughts. That's when we share emotions. That's when we share our passions. That's when we share these, all these bonding moments. And there's a more primal thing to it. I need this to survive. Yes. I need this food to continue to exist. I am going to choose to share this with you. Yes. This is something that, that Peterson talks quite a bit talks about a little bit in the Jordan new Exodus Jordan Peterson, yeah. sorry. Yeah. In the Exodus series that he's doing that's on uh, on Daily Wire. Uh, which is spectacular if you're interested in 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 I don't know 28 biblical hours studies. of biblical yeah. study. It's a long. It's taken me forever to get through it, but it's really good. But he talks about that idea of, and I think it's in that one. It could be in one of his other lectures I've listened to. But the idea of of that sacrifice of I'm going to give up some of what's mine to you because I know that. You know, with it's making the sacrifice for the future gain, which is if I give you some food now, maybe when you get food next time, you'll share with me. Which brings me back to spirituality, because one of the most, one of the earliest forms we know of of worship across cultures is the giving up of and sacrifice of foodstuffs and items, right? And we see this all through the Old Testament. In fact, there is a lot of evidence, and, and I don't mean to insult anyone's faith when I say this, but there is a theory in biblical study that the story of uh, um, Joseph sacrificing, not Joseph, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the names wrong. Um, Abraham. Abraham sacrificing his son, and then God saying no was the moral lesson to the people who became the Jews that we were going to stop human sacrifice at this point. That before that, there was a tradition of human sacrifice. And this was, I don't need that kind of sacrifice anymore. Right. Almost an evolving of the faith, right? Which we see over time. Um, All religions evolve over time. And, and, this is this is one of those stories that they see as pivotal and necessary to have shared with everyone of that faith background 
So they knew, well, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to kill our yeah. kids anymore, right? Uh, well, and you also wonder if just just going out on a crazy limb here, what if some of that child sacrifice that was happening was due to the fact that just like bears eat their cubs and fish eat their like it was like I've got I've got four mouths to feed and that's a fifth resources. one and I just can't do it so we're gonna sacrifice the child you know and the weakest and, you know, youngest oldest whatever take your pick yeah you know the sacrifice has to be made for the good of the group and maybe it's at that point where they go like okay we're stable enough. And we can support the community to the level that, all right, that doesn't need to happen anymore. We or can it can run the other that. direction, like it did with the Aztecs, because we don't know why mm-hmm. the Aztecs, because, you know, the good conquistadors burned all their books. Um, but, and I'm being facetious, I, you know, mm-hmm. I hate burning of knowledge. It's horrible. But we know at some point they started human sacrifice. We don't know why. Right. But it turned into mass sacrifice of a lot of people. So And 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 who knows what that what the goal was there. You know. It it's just crazy. It, yeah. And, and and again, what makes us human? What mm-hmm. makes us us? Um did sacrifice happen with our cousins, with our, our you know, um, the, our Neanderthal or Denisovan or whatever, because did, did they do it? Did they have to make those choices? Did they struggle over it? Um, we know they were inspired to make art. Mm-hmm. You know, again, one of my reasons I think they have language. If they have art, they have language. I mean, um, I don't think you get to what if what if what if though the art was the language. What if that was the way, what if there was a communication of maybe hands, maybe there wasn't, I'm just communication can happen without there actually being vocal cord speech. Cause I really do sort of get down yes. and, uh, on the tangent of magic words that we talk about. Like you get into, you know, ancient myths and, and the ideas of, of magic words. And maybe there is something to the fact that we're the group that actually can speak. And, and I don't know. I'm just... I, I, I see where you're coming from, and I, I understand it. But I think, I think communic- spoken communication and body language communication evolve together over time. Absolutely. Um, I don't think – and I think by the time we get to Neanderthal – and again, I can't know this. I don't have a time machine. Yeah, no. And but I you're would, probably right. I would I'm put just... money down that they had some form of language, or mm-hmm. that if we were to de-extinction a Neanderthal, we could teach them to speak. Yeah, I would put money I don't, on that. I, I don't. I don't know what the Neanderthal vocal cord situation is, but not it, not you're dissimilar probably from right. ours. From the and and their brain structure is not dissimilar from ours. From what it's I've read, bigger though I believe. Yeah. Yes, they had a full modern vocal tract and were capable of fully modern speech. So I'm I am incorrect in that case. Yeah, I mean we don't know if they did it. We don't know if it was grunts or whatever. Yeah. Right? Well, it also it also we don't know how complex their communication was the results are solid and clearly show neanderthals had the capacity to perceive and produce human speech this is one of the very few current ongoing research lines relying on fossil evidence to study the evolution of language 
a notoriously tricky subject in anthropology. Um, thank you, Google. Right. Um, so, and that's that's from a news article at some college. Uh, <laughs> but, you know. It's a wild know, just... idea to, to really stop and think. I mean, Because when you start asking the idea of how different are we from Neanderthal, you really start getting into the idea of like, okay, so if if we're conscious, were they conscious? Probably they're making art. They're they're doing burials. There's some con- there's you know you know be, to the level of consciousness that anyone can consider. But then you have to start saying like, okay, well, when did that actually start? Where is consciousness? And and how and, far and back? How does we go? Yeah. Well, um, and then you have it... to start asking the question of like, well, I'm conscious. Is the dog conscious? Like. They understand what I want them to do. Does that you know? And it starts to get and, and, it starts and, to get you know, weird. We, we get into we get into some of some of the what I call uh, higher mammals, mm-hmm. dolphins, whales, uh, great apes. You know, uh, especially for mm-hmm. me. And here's where it is. Here, here's really where this comes from. You know, the moral quandary uh, from from two things. One, what do we do? Because I don't think it's going to come from the chimpanzee. I, I just, even though they're so genetically close to us, I don't think it's going to come from the chimpanzee. It's the orangutan. And I don't see the. It, it might come from the orang, no. orangutan, but I see the gorilla, the mountain gorilla, mm. which has been one of the most successful at learning language. Again, back to Coco, and expressing oh. emotion to us. What do we do when they come out and start doing math? What do we do when they? Because Coco painted. Coco painted. Did they try Coco to teach Coco add. math? I was going to say, did, did they? Did, yeah, did. Uh... I'm, I know that they've seen orangutans have been watching people spearfish and are copying them now. E- yes. Uh, and so this is from Real Clear Science. Um, Coco the gorilla knows sign language, and Alex the parrot was probably the most well-known spoken bird to exist. Also, a chimpanzee was trained to use Arabic symbols to add add sums as large as four. And monkeys have been taught to add dots together. So we know we know monkeys can learn math. We know dolphins can learn math. That's been proven. Um, in fact, a lot of research scientists have figured out that the dolphins were messing with the research scientists because they thought it was funny. I hadn't they heard were, that one. Oh, yeah. They found that they've been throwing experiments. They've been doing stuff. They've been playing jokes. And, and dolphins are also the only other species that we know of today that has sex for fun and gets high. They find yeah. and lick pufferfish to get high. So they're just people without arms and legs. Yeah. Well, and then you, and then, I mean, I won't go down the list, but you get into octopus. They're kind of they're really weird and smart and interesting. And Cro- and I've seen crows. some evidence to think that octopus may not even be native to the planet. Yeah, so, I've seen. That I mean, that's too. A, a I, I haven't gone idea, down that. Yeah, I haven't gone down that rabbit hole. But there is the. They're idea so that the, different from everything else that maybe yeah. the octopus is an alien. Right? If the octopus is an alien, so is the mushroom. I'm just I'm just gonna yeah, lay that I, lay I, that I, down. I, I think the mushroom but, may be key to consciousness. 
Yes. See, and that's getting into the Rupert Sheldrake's stoned ape theory, which is a wild idea that an early ape ate a mushroom, tripped some balls, and then, like, was like, you know, what if I... Akashic record and uh, tapped into all knowledge and began to advance. At some point, uh, let me just put it this way. Biologists and anthropologists say, at some point, we ate something that began to change our brain. Yeah. Be it cooked protein, be it, you know, something triggered it. So there's a, there was an interesting book that, that Jordan Peterson talks about in his Genesis series uh, called Catching Fire, not the Hunger Games book, but a different book called Catching Fire that really gets into the idea of early brain formation. The, the, the largest requirement for that was cooked meat. The reason being is that once, or it was cooked food, sorry, because once you cook it, it becomes more bioavailable to your body. When you eat it, you can, you can, it, you, it takes fewer calories for it to process the food. And so you're able to have a net gain that's larger than you would if you ate it like a raw potato. In a sense, we pre-digest it. So we don't need multiple stomachs like some other animals like a cow does. Right. And so we started cooking food, and that's what caused our brain to start getting bigger. And so that idea that like cooking and fire are later things, the premise that they're making and the, the assertion that they're making is that it really had to be really very early in the beginning because we didn't have the energy store to make our brain bigger. We had to eat the food and start developing a way of getting more calories by cooking to get to that point. I I have absolutely no proof of this in any way, shape, or form. But I feel fire is as old as the stone tool. Well, yeah. Well, I I mean, tie the the two together, potentially. But how, I mean, uh, yes, I don't disagree with you. But if you really stop and think about it, how... Almost every ancient story about fire is stealing it from the gods or taking it or or like it was it feels good which is why which is why when I talk about like speculating about the faiths that may have existed or the spirituality mm-hmm. that may have existed for early hominids that show evidence of it, I think it revolves around fire. And earth. I mean, if you and this. if you really think about it, most fire, and at the beginning of that, you know, a hundred a million years ago, most fire probably came from lightning. Probably that is probably the initial source. You're absolutely right. Most what makes at, us what makes so us. If that's, but if that's ahead. the gods create fire and create then fire, you yes. figure out how to create fire how to create now fire stolen that stolen from the gods it's, yeah uh, and and i forgot where i was going to go with it um that fire yeah i i, I lost it i lost my train of thought with it um <laughs> no it's it just an interesting that... idea that that we've we've got these old stories of gods and power and what they had and what they could do and and we a lot are... of them were moral or a lot of them were spiritual or a lot of them were around survival 
Yes. Um, and, and a lot of the early forms that we've known or um, more um, what we would consider primitive cultures, even though I don't like that phrasing. I don't know of a better phrasing. Hunter-gatherer type cultures um, is, is a better way to say it because I, I don't like calling a culture primitive. I think we just right. don't understand it. Um, that is a that is a very colonial Western idea. I don't like, right? Yeah. Um, but again, I fall back into language. It's it's habit. Um, you know, I am a child of the Gen X generation, so there's a lot of stuff I'm going to say that's going to, you know, piss people off. Um, but when we get into this stuff, we're not different. Physiologically, mm-hmm. we are. Sort of. Well, there's there is a distinct there's a distinct difference between the skeletal structure of 100% pure Homo sapien and 100% pure Homo neanderthal. I fall mm-hmm. somewhere in in between. You know, again, it's not a lot, but there and but we had common ancestor. We had common development, and we had similar tools and similar early lifestyles, as far as we can tell. Maybe we had a common civilization. You know, I'm I'm voting for Lord of the Rings, man. Yeah, like, all these I'm, different I'm, I'm, races living in different parts of the world. It you know, it, it makes sense. I, in in a sense, you can think of it this way: we had Neanderthal, and we had Homo sapien. And then we had the half-elf. And some of us are the half-elf, or the remnant of the half-elf, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the the Lord Elrod and, and his brother from the Lord of the Rings, right? Um, one picked one way, and one picked, uh, you know, one picked right. mortal life, and one picked immortality. Um, but this is going to be an important question for us at some point in the future, and... Science does things now without asking whether it should, right? We move forward because we can. Right. But we also need to be careful of where we came from and be aware of what. Well, and I think we need to ask, ask some of those ethical questions about what do, we, what do we do when somebody says, I cloned a Neanderthal. Here they are. Well, I mean, I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean I, let's be honest. You know, I it, it, in and and I, I say this, and I, I want to talk about de-extinction at some point. Um, but I, I saw an article today that had a video of, of, and I need to find out exactly when it came from because I didn't see a date. But they found a mammoth in Siberia coming out of a glacier, not just the permafrost, but like coming out of a glacial area, and when they cut it, it bled. And it's the purest mammoth blood they found. And they said, the meat looks fresh, but it smells a little rotten. We could probably cook it and eat it. And we know for a fact that they dug up mammoths, this is in historical record, in uh, Alaska and ate the meat in the, you know, in the gold rush. When, when was it? 2013, they found 2013. The fresh flesh and blood samples. And... There have been people attempting, and, and this this video claimed that people have been attempting to clone the mammoth since the 90s. And there was a big Discovery Channel special that came out during the pandemic 
um, that talked about how it's just a matter of time now. It's going There's to happen. There's a project actually going on. Um, Forrest Gallant talked about it on um, on Rogan, I don't know, two, three months ago about how they're trying to bring back the mammoth in Siberia because it helps pack the permafrost and, yes. it's, and, and they've, it'll they've help with global climate change. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've, they've built a park area for it. And I feel like he said Pleistocene park, but that, that something feels like that wrong, yeah. but I think it might be right. <laughs> but that's, it's just, you know, how different are we? How different are we? And I, the re- other reason that question is important is, are we really that different than our neighbors now? You know, yeah, yeah, um, and that's we're, a question we need to ask. We're we're, we're so divided. We're arguing right over now. We're over fighting over things, all kinds of things. Yeah. Some of them for very legitimate reasons. Some of them are not. But God, we got to figure out a way to talk to each other without killing each other. Absolutely, you know? we're we're at at least we're all the same species. You know, like, why do we treat each other like we're not? Are we? I'm a hybrid. Well, and I mean, I keep coming back to that. Again, it's not a lot. But we're we're finding out that we're not. That's the thing. Like, not all of the people on the planet have the same genetic background. We discovered another right. extinct species of hominid through studying DNA of people in Asia that we have no bones for. Yeah, they just so figured it out. They found a ghost. story here. There's a Always. deeper story, a richer story, and we need to we, we need to come together and ask these kind of questions. And if we do, it will help us talk to our neighbors and find common ground with them. Absolutely. You know, maybe we put the phones down and we break bread together again. So Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. That's what I got. All right. You know. Excellent. Well, we'll wrap it there. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next time.